John chapter 12. We'll begin reading at verse 12 and then end our reading at verse 16. Scriptures tell us the next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Let's pray for a moment. Father, as we have heard the word of your scriptures to us. We pray that you would bless our ears to hear. We pray that you would bless our eyes to see. We thank you for your Son, our Savior, the King of Israel, who is Lord of heaven and earth, We pray that as we hear from the scriptures this morning, that we would hear your voice speaking to us. We pray that you would help us to look to your son Jesus as our redeemer and our savior. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. It might uh, come as a surprise to you um, you might try to think of some exceptions, but I have a, um, I have a, uh, a pretty uh, bold claim to make this morning, and that is that everyone, everyone, absolutely everyone is looking for a Savior. We, um, we may think, try to think of exceptions and think, well, that person seems like they've got it all together and they're not really looking for a Savior. Or that person, you know, thinks so highly of themselves, they think they don't need a Savior. But I want to, um, I want to encourage you um, to consider with me the fact that everyone is looking for a Savior. Sometimes we think of ourselves as our Savior. We look to ourselves as the ones, the one who can meet our needs. The, the reason why I would say that everyone is looking for a Savior is because simply life is filled with conflict. The strongest of us, the most powerful of us, the most set up in life of us, we all have conflict. Life is filled with with conflict. And when I say that everyone is looking for a savior, what I mean by that is that everyone is looking for something to set them free, whether it is from pain 
or from want? Set them free from anxiety or despair or any number of struggles. Everyone has conflict in life, interpersonal conflicts, intrapersonal conflicts, conflicts with ourselves and coming to grips with who we are and who we see ourselves to be and where we see ourselves going. There are financial conflicts. There are physical conflicts. There are psychosomatic conflicts. There are conflicts of all sorts in life. And no one is immune from them. Bill Gates has conflicts. It does not matter how wealthy. It does not matter how poor. It does not matter how, um, how extroverted. It does not matter how introverted. It does not matter how arrogant a person is or how humble a person is. Everyone is looking for a savior. Everyone is looking to be set free from the conflicts of life. Lewis, uh, earlier in the week, I think he sent me an email, or no, a text, a text message, and said, what do you think about Oklahoma Oklahoma Emanuel for Palm Sunday? And uh, we, we've joked before, because, uh, you know, in the middle of the summer, all right, he tries to throw it in anywhere. It, it'd be Labor Day. And he said, what do you think about Oklahoma Oklahoma Emanuel? Um, and, and, and immediately I thought, you know what? I don't see a, I can't see, other than during Advent, I can't see a more perfect time to sing that song. Palm Sunday, as the King of Israel rides into Jerusalem, as the Savior of the world rides to his death. O come, O come, God with us to redeem us, to set us free, to be our Savior. Palm Sunday is a crescendo of sorts. Um, I say of sorts because it, it, if you look up the, the term crescendo, it's, it doesn't fit uh, exactly into that, but I don't know what else to call it. And the reason why is I'm going to show you. Um, there we go. In John's account of the gospel, and you find this uh, similar in the other gospels, but uh, in John's account of the gospel, which is what we've been walking through, you have, you have some peaks. You have some building, uh, some building points, and then you have peaks. You have drop, a drop as well. In John chapter 1, he lays out for us his introduction. He's telling us about Christ coming into the world and what he has done to redeem us, or what, what we are to look forward to. And he invites us, come and see, come on in. Behold the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then for those next 10 chapters, uh, chapters 2 through 11, you have kind of a building, a slow and gradual building. You have the miracle, the signs, as John calls them. You have Jesus' claims concerning himself, except for those that he makes um, uh, in the next section. You have all the events. You have the people that are being woven into the story. You have this, the, the story of, of Nicodemus, the woman at the well. You have all these different stories, but it's building, and it's building to chapter 12. In chapter 12, we looked at last week, the, the anointing at Bethany, and that is what kind of sets the ball in motion. Jesus has, has decided to go to Jerusalem for his last time, and he knows it's his last time. His disciples even know it's his last time. When he goes toward, uh, toward, toward um, Bethany in chapter 11 to raise up Lazarus from the dead, they, they, they implored Jesus, what are you thinking? We're going to go that? You, you know that the people are going to kill you in Jerusalem. They hate you. And, and Jesus says, we're going. 
And they said, I believe it was Thomas, uh, the twin, who says, um, who says, let us go and die with him. And so that takes place in chapter 11. Chapter 12 begins with his anointing at Bethany. And as we looked at last week, Jesus says that, that Mary has kept this anointing for his burial. And in 12, here you have his entrance into Jerusalem. And then in those chapters that follow, all of those chapters take place during Holy Week, which we begin today. All those chapters, the bulk of them even take place on Thursday of Holy Week, which we call Maundy Thursday. Uh, Maundy being a Latin term means new, because Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. And he explains that it's not really new altogether, but love as I have loved you. He says that to them after he has washed their feet. And so you have, in chapter 12, you have this, this, uh, this high point in John's account of the gospel. You have Jesus entering into Jerusalem and the people are, are, are amazed that he's there. The people are joyous that he's there. They're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They call him the king of Israel. And they, they lay down these branches of palm before him. They also take off their garments and lay them on the floor for him to ride in to Israel's royal city as their king. And so you have this high point. And that high point is maintained until Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then you have this dramatic dip. The King, the Savior, the Redeemer has been handed over to those who would kill Him. And they mock Him. They ridicule Him. They abuse Him. They crucify him, and then they bury him. That's where 19 ends. 20, you have the tomb is empty, and you have a risen Lord appearing to his disciples, appearing to those who have loved him and those who have faithfully followed him. And then you get to 21, and you've got a conclusion. John is wrapping everything up. But this day, which we call Palm Sunday, this day on which we remember those palms that were laid before the feet of one whose palms would soon be nailed to a tree. This is a high day. This is a day of celebration. And it's a day where we look forward to what is about to take place. And we look forward to a week that will be dark. We look forward to a Friday that will on the one hand, be our good, and on the other, be the death of our Savior. Everything has been building in John's account of the gospel toward Holy Week. Everything has been building toward these chapters, 12 through 19. It's so important that John gives us eight consecutive chapters for those events that take place during Holy Week. And as our king rides into Jerusalem, as our savior enters what will become the week of our redemption, what will become his death in Jerusalem upon a cross, we recognize a few things about how he comes. Israel was looking for a savior. They were looking for a redeemer. But what they found in Jesus was an unconventional savior. They found one 
who has come, first of all, and is come in suffering. That Palm Sunday, the Sunday of Passover, the Sunday that began the Passover feast, that, that Sunday was the day that Israel and her families would select their Paschal lamb. They would select their lamb that was to be sacrificed for the sins of the nation. He was their lamb of God. He came to suffer. We call Holy Week Passion Week. It is the week of his suffering. We think of a Savior. We think of one who is strong. One who is mighty. One who can overthrow our enemies. But he is one who comes to submit to our enemies. And to ultimately be killed by them. His redemption is unconventional. Because his redemption is not minded according to the mind of man. But it is minded according to the heart and mind of God. Paul, in speaking to the Corinthians in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, he says, praise God or bless God that, that in Christ He always leads us in triumphal procession. And we think of that as something joyous. We think of that as something great, something uh, of strength and victory and power. But what Christ shows us is that is something of suffering and pain. It is something of death that leads to life. And Paul implores us as he tells the Colossians in chapter 1 of his letter to them. He tells them that he is filling up what is lacking in the afflictions or the sufferings of Christ. And he says, he sa- uh, in saying that, he says that he does that for the benefit of the church. That he is indeed suffering with Christ and filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the body. And in saying that, he invites us to also to come and to suffer with him. We hear the voice of Thomas saying, come, let us go and suffer with him. But this day is a day of celebration. This day is a day where the people tear branches out of the palm trees and lay them on the road where the people take off their overcoats and cast them out before the donkey, where the people are crying out, save us, Hosanna, as they celebrate the arrival of their king. But that celebration in the coming days will be turned toward rejection. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer that reminded me and reminds the church that it is the rejection of Christ that we find so unbearable. We can bear a suffering servant, but when we're talking about a servant who is being rejected by those whom we serve, we scoff. We think this is ridiculous. The crowd will turn from celebrating to rejecting. The crowd will turn from crying out in thanksgiving for their Savior who's come to spitting upon Him 
and mocking him because of the manner in which he has come. They were looking for a redeemer from Rome's tyranny. They were looking for one who would set them free, who would restore Israel to its greatness. Even after the resurrection of Christ, as as Christ has gathered his disciples to the holy mountain so that he might ascend to the Father, their question is, Lord, are you going to restore Israel now? Even beyond the empty tomb, even beyond the bloody cross, they are still looking for a savior, politically speaking. They are looking for someone who can set them free and restore their liberty and restore their identity as a nation among the nations. And on the cross, Christ not only bears our suffering, He bears our rejection. It is we, the ones for whom He died, who put Him there. It is uh, one thing for us to hear in the call to come and take up our cross and follow Him. It's one thing to recognize that that means we're called to suffer. It's another thing to recognize in our suffering we'll also be rejected. No one likes that. We can bear a little bit of suffering. We can bear a little bit of discomfort. We can bear a little bit of... um, a little bit of uh, discomfort in this life, even for the sake of the gospel, but to be rejected, to be denied. It finds finds in us to be something that's unbearable. But what Adam and Eve rejected in the Garden of Gethsemane, or in the Garden of Eden, Christ embraced in the Garden of Gethsemane. They chose to eat not from the tree of life, but to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what Christ embraces in the Garden of Gethsemane as he prays to the Father, not my will, but thine be done, is the cross of redemption, another tree of life. And he does that as he embraces the suffering of the cross and yet also the rejection of the cross. Why he does that is because of humility. He is enabled to bear our suffering and enabled to bear our rejection because of his humble character. It is humility that is the enablement of redemptive suffering and personal rejection. We read that he rides upon a donkey as he enters Jerusalem. And some might would say, well, in ancient times, a donkey was, was not necessarily antithetical to being one of royalty. Perhaps him riding that donkey is a sign of royalty. That had not been the case in Israel for several hundred years. Israel recognized the donkey to be a humble and lowly animal. It was an animal of labor and work. It was a a slow 
animal. You didn't ride a donkey into battle. You might have hundreds of years prior, but you didn't in these times. This colt, this foal of a donkey upon whom Jesus sat as he entered Jerusalem reminded Israel that he has come to serve, that he has come in meekness, in mildness, in humility. He is able to bear our suffering and to bear our rejection because he's not thinking of himself but he's thinking of those for whom he's come to redeem. He is humble because he is other-oriented and because he is self-given. Because his character, his holy character, is that of love. He's not looking after his interests. He's not looking for the, the praise of the crowd. He's not looking for the easy life. He's not looking for power and influence. He is looking to serve. He is looking to redeem. And so he comes humbly to suffer and to be rejected. And he rides upon that colt the foal of a donkey. I've shared this with you um, a few times before, but it's a um, it's my my favorite uh, poem to read on Palm Sunday, and so I'm sharing it with you again. G.K. Chesterton, the donkey. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will, starved, Scourge, deride me, I am dumb. I keep my secret still. Fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. The redemption of God is so big that he can lift up a low and humble donkey as being the transport of our Redeemer. The one upon whom our Savior would ride. The ears that led out before our Lord were the big ears of a donkey. He comes humbly to suffer and to be rejected. And what lies before us is whether or not this unconventional Savior is the Savior that we'll have for ourselves. 
or whether or not we'd rather look to some other source of salvation. If you would take your communication cards and look at the back of them, you'll find these responses as well as the responses, uh, the same responses on the back of your bulletin. As always, I want you to hang on to your bulletin. I want you to drop your communication card off in the offering plate. If you've not uh, done so already, please fill out the front of your card. But as this Savior has come, as this Savior is the one before whom we stand and the one who entered Jerusalem, this one who came to suffer, to be rejected, and who came humbly. As I said, the question that remains for us is, is this the Savior we'll have or would we rather find some other source of salvation? I wonder if you would say, you know what? Seeing who he is, seeing how he's come, seeing what he's come to do, he's still yet my Lord and he's my Redeemer. Perhaps you've, uh, perhaps you've embraced him before, but I wonder if you would renew that embrace this morning and say, yes, this one who's come to suffer, to be rejected, this one who's come so humbly, I embrace him. Not just by checking a box, not just by praying a prayer, but I embrace him in the completeness of my life. Amen. He is my Savior. He is my King. He is my Lord and God. I wonder if you would say, secondly, you know what? Not only is he my Savior, but I'm going to join in him, join him in his work of redemption. What that means is I'm going to join him in his passion. The work of redemption always requires suffering. It always bears some rejection. It always is born by one who is humble. And I'm going to step into that with him. I'm going to join him. I'm going to live to serve others. I'm going to live not for my own interests. I'm going to live for that of others. If so, then please mark your cards accordingly. And then very practically, um, I wonder if you'd say, this Friday I'm going to carve out a little bit of time in my busy schedule and I'm going to uh, make it a point to be here at Faith Methodist to, to share in that time of holy worship and holy communion. The service is at 11.30 Friday morning. Um, I can almost guarantee you that you'll be out of here by 12.15. Almost guarantee is about as close as a guarantee as you can get. But um, it will not be an overly lengthy service. It will be, it's it's been scheduled in such a way that uh, at 12 noon um, that we'll be receiving communion together. And then um, uh, I, I believe that you'll, you will all, as well as I, will find this service to be something of, of meaning to us and something that is uh, beneficial to us. And so I wonder if you would consider coming and also bringing a guest. As we draw to the end of um, our time together, and as we reflect upon these responses and consider those that we're intending to make, let's bow our heads in prayer.